You're listening to a message from Severe Heights. To learn more about us, go to www.severeheights.org. Be honest for a second. How many people came last Saturday because of the weather forecast? Anybody? I would have. I'm not going to lie. Like the weather was bad on Saturday. Sunday was going to be great. Um, how many came on Saturday night because of the Masters or golf or anything like that? Anybody? Uh, I did the same. All right. I, I was here both. Um, my job required it. All right. Uh, there are churches everywhere in the city. Everybody knows that. Uh, you walk, uh, let's say you walk out of the house, you get into a car, and you drive. Maybe it's just around the corner to get to your street. Maybe it's around town to get to your street. And some of you in this room, I live three miles this way. I pass three churches to get to this church. And if you can imagine people on a given Sunday, they're pulling into a parking lot Walking into the building of a church that's like a 100-year-old building, maybe a 25-year-old building. Maybe it's a storefront church. Maybe it's a school that's been rented out for church services. Maybe it's even a, a movie theater that's rented out. And everyone goes into those buildings all across this city, tens of thousands of people, and they sit in one of these. Now, it, it might not look like this. It might look like bleachers. It might look like rows. And people will sit in them, maybe by themselves, maybe uh, with one person, maybe with a whole family. And while they occupy these, there's music, uh, there's times of praying, there's times where we read the scriptures, uh, there's times where we listen to teaching. And yet, after all that we experience in these, there's a question. A question the Bible makes a big deal out of. And the question is this, what, what difference does it make? And why don't we press in a little bit more to be more specific? What difference does it make for you? Because Jesus makes a big deal out of this issue. Uh, it's a teaching that he does not in a synagogue and not in a temple. As a matter of fact, it's not inside anywhere. It's a teaching that he does outside. We would love to have been there. And it's not the most famous of his outside teachings, the one called the Sermon on the Mountain. This one's the Sermon on the Plains. It takes place in Luke chapter 6 where Jesus is teaching, the Bible says, on a level place, and crowds show up. There, there are followers, there are some fans, there are some curious people, and they gather to hear Jesus teach on the plains, and he makes this statement about these. The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who's fully trained will be like their teacher. Jesus is talking about himself, and what he's getting at is, you'll know you're fully trained when you become like me. On behalf of the statement that Jesus makes, that is nothing short of a total renovation. You know, this year or a year ago, um, this room looked quite a bit different, but it wasn't a renovation. Like we just had different carpet, a different paint, different chairs. That's what we call a refresh. A renovation is like a teardown and a buildup. Meaning it's like Jesus is saying there must be a total renovation of the heart, the mind, and the imagination. There's a Bible word for this. It's called discipleship. Discipleship is the activity of an individual that's following Jesus become more like Jesus, whether you're a student, you're an adult, it's us putting ourselves in an intentional setting where we are slowly learning to become like the teacher, Jesus. Uh, just six verses later in Luke 6, Jesus asks a very disturbing question. Listen to this. Why do you call me Lord? And yet you don't do what I say. So the Sermon on the Plains is he's engaging, making eye contact with the people. He asks them, look, you refer to me as like Lord or Master or Boss which is a position of submission, 
but you're not doing the things that I teach. You're not embracing what's primary, the renovation of the heart, the mind, and the imagination. So today, I want us to press in and ask this question, how does this happen? Meaning, what is the process that Severe Heights has embraced to help us to become more like Jesus? And what we've adopted here is how we're going to tease out the series. It's called Rows, Rooms, and Recliners. And some could say that's a lot of syllables. Well, so is lions, tigers, and bears, right? The question that I really want to press in is, what difference does it make for you? And specifically today, it's on behalf of the rows. In the weeks to come, we'll look at the rooms and the recliners. There is something about these rows, something about those rows, that everyone in this room needs to understand. There is a massive amount hidden in those rows of self-deception. Like you can slowly and I can slowly sit in one of these rows and think, ah, this is the point. That's what happens here. No, that's what's supposed to happen in the rows. James piggybacks off the teaching of Jesus when Jesus teaches on the Sermon on the Plains in Luke 6. James says it this way in James chapter 1. He says, do not merely as you listen, listen to the word as you sit in the rows and so deceive yourselves. Instead, you got to do what it says. Now, here's something crazy about the book of James. James is the earliest written New Testament book, probably written around 44 to 47 um, A.D. And so when you think that James is writing, it's the first book that we've got documented to the early church. Here's what, here's what you've got to understand. It doesn't surprise me that we need to hear this now. It surprises me that they needed to hear this back then. James is telling them, when you find yourself sitting in a row and listening to the teachings of Jesus you got to do what it says. Otherwise, you are deceiving yourself. So let's ask a question. Where is self-deception involved? Well, if we're not careful, we can think, okay, going to church is the point. Listening to a message is the point. Great worship is the point. Information is the point. No, it's not about informing. It's literally about transforming or change. So if you're not careful, we can go to church. We can sit in a row. We can sing, listen to a message, pray. Walk out and think, job done. But not at all. It's actually job started, according to Jesus. Uh, the real question is, when it, on behalf of the row, like, as you sit there, has it started the process of you becoming more like the teacher? Becoming more and more like Jesus. A total renovation of the mind, the heart, the imagination. Well, James will continue on this statement. And he leverages the analogy of a mirror. In the first century, they would often polish metal to the point where they could kind of see a reflection. And so James is like, I'm going to use that imagery to prove a point. Listen to this. Verse 23, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says, like as you're in the row, you hear it, but you don't do it. It's like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. So he gives the analogies, like this morning, if you spent time fixing your hair, spent time, um, perhaps you noticed that there was sleep in your eyes, perhaps because of the allergies, there's something wrong with your nose, and you notice it and you don't fix it. James is saying that's the equivalent to sitting in a row, to listening to something and not putting it into action. James uses a very surprising word to me in this passage. The word is forgetfulness. He says, you deceive yourselves because you think the point is just listening and not doing. 
The problem is when we leave, we forget what to do. James isn't talking about a hard heart. He's not talking about a rebellious heart. He's not talking about laziness. He's not talking about, I don't care. James is talking about, we just forget. So think about it. Somewhere between the row and your residence, we forget. James continues with a mirror imagery. Verse 25, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So you and I, we sit in rows with the best of intentions, but we forget. And according to James, when we forget, we forfeit. We forfeit two things. He says in the passage, we forfeit freedom and we forfeit blessing. Those are two positive things. So if you and I were to sit and listen and then do it, we experience freedom and we experience blessing. Now, freedom, let's talk about these two for a second. Freedom is counterintuitive. You and I left to ourselves, we think, okay, if I do life my way, that's freedom. If I do it Jesus' way, that is taking away or I'm losing my freedom. But James is saying our way is a trap. Like left to our way, it, it, it traps us into materialism, into resentment, into self-righteousness, into being critical. Consider this on behalf of what James is teaching. What if the way of Jesus is the greatest freedom in life? Meaning Jesus protects our freedom by limiting our freedom. As a follower of Jesus, he gives you boundaries to stay inside of. Perhaps it's because the God of the universe knows what's best. Jesus said it this way. John 8, 36. So if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. So when you and I sit in a row, we listen and we do it. We don't forget. We experience freedom. But he also says we experience blessings. So what about blessings? When you read the Bible, there are kind of a category of two different types of blessings. There are Unconditional blessings, and there are conditional blessings. Unconditional blessings, you don't have to love God, and you're blessed. Like some in this room, like we're alive today. Let's say you don't love God and you're in this room today. We're alive. We got to see the sunrise. We're going to get to experience some rain, a sunset, um, vacations. Like they're just unconditional blessings that, that anyone can experience. But there are also conditional blessings, Conditional blessings are in the Bible are like when you come to a point, finally, whether it's at the end of a service, in the middle of a song, somewhere at, the, at your house by yourself, and you finally surrender your life to Christ. Like, God, I believe following Jesus is the greatest way to live, and it's the only way to die. And so I want to give me to you. Look what happens as a result. Ephesians 1, 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. There are blessings tied with following Jesus. There are also conditional blessings that are tied to obedience, meaning there are some blessings that you and I experience that we behaved our way into, and there are some blessings that we don't experience because we misbehaved our way out of it. Let me give you an example of this. One day Jesus was in a room with the 12 disciples. They're all gathered together. The disciples all have dirty feet. No one paid close attention to anything else. They're just about their business, and Jesus takes water a bowl, a towel, and begins to wash their feet. After he's finished, he slowly, quietly sits down. No fanfare. He makes this statement. Now that you know these things, and you saw these things, you will be blessed. And then what did he say? If you do them. 
So a quick summary on behalf of what Jesus is teaching and James is teaching. In these rows, there's a whole lot of self-deception. Like we think if we showed up, that's the point. No, that's just where it starts. Then he presses in and say, you got to be careful when you show up and you listen. When you're told, according to the scriptures, something that needs to change, something you need to do, oftentimes we forget. Something happens from the road to the residence and we forget. And he presses in, if you remember to do it and you put in place practices where you discipline yourself to do what Jesus says or to stop doing the things that he tells us not to do, we will experience freedom and we will experience blessing. So on behalf of your row, the row that you're sitting in today, a lot is at stake. To which you might say, man, this is overwhelming. I'm behind. I was just trying to develop the habit of attending. Thanks for putting this on my radar. But Tim, I have a big question. The question is this, where do I begin? Good news for all of us. James is going to continue to tell us about a few areas some questions that you can ask on how the rows are doing at any local church that you're gathered when the Bible is taught. Let's start here. James would ask us, how's your mouth? Blame James, all right? It's not my idea. Verse 26, those who consider themselves religious. This is right on the heels of sitting in the rows. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongue deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Um, Anyone need to grow hair? Show of hands. So like a mouth. And you're all lying. All right. Uh, I was at a, years ago, I taught a message on behalf of Matthew. Um, when Jesus called Matthew, Matthew was a tax collector. Matthew followed Jesus. And then he ends up having this big party at his house. Invites all his friends and invites Jesus to the party. Some tough stuff happens at the party. Matthew gets a little embarrassed. I talked about the importance of throwing Matthew parties. It's incredible. Um, I've got a friend that strategically throws these before big events. And Friday night... He'd invited me, and I didn't think I was going to be able to go. We had other plans, and some other plans fell through. Well, I showed up at this Matthew party. Um, there was probably 50, 60 guys, just manly men, just, you know, tough, rough guys. And usually when I go to an event like this, I don't tell anybody what I do, because if I ended up saying, okay, here's what I do, they change groups, and they go to somebody different, like, I don't want to be around this guy, blah, blah, blah. So at this event, there are a few guys that attend here. There are some that um, are a part of this body, but there are a whole lot that don't. And so there was one guy in particular that's known for being extremely wild. And he and I got paired up and started saying some things that you would not believe were said. You probably would, but you just wouldn't. And I'm just sitting there. Well, all the guys that know what I do know he does not know. And they know how bad he is. And they're just on the side, like, cringing, all right? And all this stuff's going on. I'm just <laughs> listening. And I'm, like, blushing. I mean, it's, it's extreme, all right? And... After the event, I leave, and the guy that's hosting the party, about 20 minutes into my ride home, my phone rings, and I'm like, I know what this is about. <laughs> and I answer the phone, and the guy says, hey, somebody needs to talk to you. The other guy gets on the phone that I was talking with. He said, what time are church services on Sunday? <laughs> and then he said, do you guys take a check, Venmo, cash? And I said, man, that's not what it's about. And I said... We're good, all this stuff. And so we were chatting along. Last night, crazy, I called to check out, because uh, Saturday was their big event. Checked and see how it was. And I called the host, and he put the same guy on. And that guy was so kind. He's like, seriously, in all seriousness, I want you to be my preacher. It was, like, it was like crazy. Now, before you think I'm picking on that dude, I'm not. 
All of us struggle with this. Everybody. Let me tell you how I struggle with it. I can be the biggest smart aleck known to man. I, uh, this past week, was telling a series of stories to staff. I'm like, which one should I share when I get to this point? I went through this one. I went through this one. I'm like, man, don't do that one. Don't do that one. Like, my mouth can get the most of me. There was one example I gave uh, not long ago. I'll give you two. I was at a ball game. After the basketball game was done, I tried getting out a little bit early. Me and the family are in the car. And I got stuck. This was last, I guess, November. There was a red light, and police are just getting traffic going. There was one guy that's telling me to go in front of the light, the police officer. The other one's telling me not to go. I'm like confused, and I'm kind of a rule follower, and I get up here. This one that told me not to go is yelling at me, and instead of me driving past like I was supposed to do and just stopping, I roll the window down, family's in the car, they're like, oh, no, here it goes. (laughs) I said, let me tell you something. You're telling me stop, he's telling me to go. So he turned around and said, are you telling him to go? He said, yeah, and I said, see what I mean? Get your your story straight. Y'all need to figure this thing out. And then all of a sudden, I drove off car was totally quiet. And all I did the entire way home was explain why I was right and all this stuff. <laughs> this past week, another bad example, and please don't think less of it. I'm just telling you, I got this issue too. Um, Elon and I were, uh, we were on a car ride enjoying the evening and Elon had this bright idea. She said, Dad, can I stop and get a milkshake? And I will not say the name of the place. And I said, sure. And she said, I'd like to get one for Silas too. So we did. We stopped to get two milkshakes. And this line took forever, all right? And I'm feeling the pressure of those behind me. And I finally got to the window to pay. And we sat there for 20 minutes. And I feel like everybody behind me is mad at me. And when that window opened up, I'm like, I had no idea. To give me two milkshakes. I smarted off and said, I had no idea this was a sit-down restaurant. And, <laughs> and uh, Elon just cringed and lowered over here on the side. I'm, I'm telling you, like, I say all this, this will get you in trouble. I could give you a ton more, especially that take place on a golf course when I'm behind slow guys. Oh, it frustrates me. But here's the situation. James is saying, this thing right here, it should impact this right here. The reason this is so important, the words that come out of my mouth and your mouth are an indication of what's going on inside of here. So let's go back to what Jesus said in Luke 6. I'm telling you, they're going back and forth, James and Jesus. Jesus said, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Meaning, you got a speech problem? I do. you got a heart problem. In a real sense, we wear our heart on our sleeves. Understand that um, Rose are designed to impact what we say, how we say it, because it impacts the heart. So a great prayer on behalf of James, if you want to leave different today, in a row, you could say, Jesus, please heal my heart, because it's starting to come out of my mouth. This is something you got to pray all the time. I, I, I find myself on the best days surrendering. Here's the second question, James says. Not just how's your mouth, but number two, who are you taking care of? Like on behalf of life, as you approach life, And it should be somebody other than yourself. Like, I ought to be able to say, I'm taking care of someone other than me. Listen to this example, verse 27. James says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. 
In the first century, it was different from today. Life expectancy was much shorter. Today, we got hospitals, medicine, drugs, doctors. But it wasn't uncommon back then for women to pass, for the wife, the husband of a woman to pass away when she was in her 20s, 30s, 40s, which meant she had kids and they couldn't meet needs. And James is calling on the Jesus community that's sitting and gathering in rows. And according to James, he said, we should be taking care of people in distress. Ready? They just can't pay us back. We did a series last year that was entitled, Everyone's Got Someone. Who's your someone? I want you to look at those words and think about it. Meaning, we gave an analogy. There's a table at your house with an empty chair. Has God nudged you lately to invite someone over that's in need of encouragement? Maybe uh, we give the analogy of a bike. Do you remember what it was like when you first learned to ride a bike? And someone walked beside you and ran with you until you gained your balance? Is there someone that God is calling you in life to walk beside, to run beside until they regain their balance. Um, perhaps, you know, the phone image, do not disturb. If you're going to think and do something on behalf of others, it's almost like you, you have a sign around you that says, do disturb. Like, I want to help you. And I will tell you, when you go out of your way to help people that can't help you back, it is inefficient. And it doesn't feel convenient, but it changes lives. So James is saying two questions on behalf of the row. You want to know if it's making a difference? Somebody's reading the Bible, teaching the Bible. When you hear the Bible taught, how's how's your mouth? Number two, are you taking care of anyone other than yourself? One more question, as if that's not enough. Are you just like everyone else? Because if you're like me, I can sit in a row and think, well, I'm not as bad as such and such. James continues. In verse 27, he says, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Uh, Whatever culture you live in, James, first century, us, 21st century, there are aspects of culture that are not at all like Jesus. And our hearts are so easily seduced by some of the aspects of the not like Jesus culture. Eventually, our heart matches the mold of everyone else. Everyone else is far from God. Paul said in Romans, not to be conformed to the world, but be transformed. You know how easy it is to be conformed to everything else? Just take a cookie cutter. It's just there. That's it. James says our hearts are to the point where we could be polluted just like the rest of the world. And he says, but the way of Jesus is completely different. Keep yourselves from being polluted by the world. There are three areas that I could just give quick examples on. On behalf of the difference between Jesus' way of doing it versus the world. How about money? The world's way is this, more, more, more. As opposed to the Jesus way, there comes a point as followers of Jesus that you realize, you know what, I already have enough. Let me press in on something. I just want you to consider this statement. We can never get enough of what we don't really need. Like if you don't need 20 pair of shoes, 30 ain't going to do it. If you don't need 30 different jackets, 40 is not going to do it. Because we'll never get enough of what we don't need. Contrast that with the way of Jesus. When you follow Jesus, you learn that as a follower of Jesus, there's this beautiful principle that he gives you called contentment. 
Contentment says, you know what? I like that. I want that. Nothing wrong with that. I don't need that to be whole. Like, compare that to the opposite. And by the way, that is nothing wrong with getting things. It's just don't ever think something is ever going to meet your deepest need. That is completely different from the world's way of living. We live in a material world, and the difference between following Jesus and the world is like, on this issue of money, Jesus teaches you contentment. And by the way, when Doug talked about this earlier. When you come to the local church, as a, as a part of the local church, like, you got to understand, as a follower of Jesus, your money is an indication to Jesus where your heart is. I, I used to laugh because we would talk about tithing, and there would be certain people who say, oh, the Bible doesn't teach tithing anymore. It's a New Testament principle. Those are the people that weren't tithing. So then we talk about generosity. Oh, you're not saying tithing. Okay, pick one. Like, when I go to a restaurant, if I give a waitress or a waiter a 10% tip, is that generous? But followers of Jesus, like, the way we give our money, it's an indication of where our heart is. So as a follower of Jesus in this room, when you're sitting in a row, you see Jesus address something on the issue of money. Like, don't forget, you got to learn to do something. How about the issue of sex? Culturally, here's what the world says. Just follow your heart. Biblically, that's not very smart. I mean, if you follow your heart on all these different things when it comes to sex, it's going to get us in a mess. Like, like our, our mind, our body will go to the worst, the worst situations. I mean, sex outside of marriage, sex um, before marriage, sex breaking the boundaries of how God intended. Like, it's all just messy. And on behalf of marriage, let me say this. It takes years to build a healthy marriage. It does not take years to destroy one. But that's what happens when our heart gets seduced. The way of the world. How about on the issue of reputation? It takes years to build a good reputation. It does not take years to destroy one. I'm telling you, we are all just a couple wrong decisions away from destroying it. So money, then there's sex. How about power? The world's way, we're all tempted to grab power, to seize power, to hoard power, to manipulate power. But the Jesus way, consider this, the most powerful person on the planet, on the planet, God himself puts skin on, walks in a room with those 12 guys that we talked about earlier, and he washes their feet. That's power, the Jesus way. Like some of you will walk into a room this week, you will be the smartest person in the room, the highest org chart person in the room, the person with the most influence in the room, the smartest, wisest, whatever. What do you do with the power that God's given you? Well, the world says, do it this way. But Jesus modeled and taught humility. And humility is not the absence of power. Humility leverages the power and the influence that God has given you for the well-being of others. And I would even take it further. For the well-being of others that may not ever pay you back. The Jesus way and the world's way are completely different. So James says, hey, don't deceive yourselves. Don't forget. You got to do it. Then he says, here's a few questions. On behalf of hey, what you got to do, how's your mouth? Are you taking care of anybody other than yourself? And are you just like everyone else? Uh, on behalf of this, let's go back to the beginning. Jesus said, you know, the goal is to be like me. As a follower of Jesus, be like me. It's this process of you and I learning after Sundays, getting impacted by the rose to become more like, more like Jesus. And every week, like I said, tens of thousands all across the city, pull into different types of churches, 
and they sit in these. You've got to ask the question, um, is it making a difference? Bigger question, how do you take something you hear in a row and increase the chances that you'll hold on to it? I mean, think about it. There's got to be a way. Well, Severe Heights has adopted a way. That's where we introduce taking full advantage of a room and a recliner. That's for weeks to come. See, if you just sit in rows, it's easy to forget. I promise. Been there. But you want to increase the chances of you getting it right? There's this thing called rooms, and there's this thing called a recliner, your quiet time. And when these three get together, oh, my goodness, the difference that it makes. Uh, just a quick tease on behalf of what's around the corner. Next week, I want to tell you about a room that you could step into. Doug said it. Welcome to Severe Heights. After the service, you can head that direction. There's a room, a large room, free food. It's called Welcome to Severe Heights. It's about you becoming part of the local church. It's what the Bible teaches for followers of Jesus. It's the next step. It's you not forgetting to do something. You get questions answered. You find out what it looks like. That's you not forgetting, not deceiving yourselves. That room is to help you with the process of becoming more like Jesus. I also want to tell you about something else. Everybody in here has one of these cards. I want you to grab one just for a second. Here's the next step. This card in the seat back in front of you says, I'm ready to talk. Do you realize when you become a follower of Jesus, Jesus told us to do something, to get baptized. Now, some of you are thinking, oh, I got baptized as an infant. No, let me tell you that. That wasn't your choice. Mom and dad, grandparents decided that. There comes a point where you have to make the decision yourself. You make a decision yourself to trust Jesus with your life. Some of you have done this in the past year. Some of you have done this in the past few weeks. There comes a time where you need to get baptized. And by the way, the biblical version of baptism means to immerse because it's a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It's also a picture of the old you buried because of Jesus and risen. Nothing magical about baptism. Jesus just commanded it. By the way, all I have to tell you is that Jesus was baptized. He didn't need to do it. He did it for our example. In the same way, when he walked into that room as the most powerful person, he washed their feet. He didn't need to do it. He did it for our example. Some of you need to fill out one of these cards and say, look, I'm ready to talk. You can talk about baptism and check it, ready to talk about a relationship with Jesus, or maybe you got something else. Just fill it out, leave it on the chair, be gone. We'll follow up with you about what it looks like for the next steps. But today before we leave, I just want to ask, so you're not deceived, I can do it too. Sitting here is not the point. It's just where it starts. How do you know if it's making a difference? Well, are you going to remember it or will you forget? It's crazy what happens between the row and our residence. So let's think about one of the areas of something to remember. Ready? How's my mouth? Why don't you close your eyes and just think for a second. How is my mouth? And I'm not just talking about random stuff. I'm just talking about what's in your heart that's yucky that's coming out of your mouth. Why don't you talk to Jesus right now and say, Jesus, will you help me with this? Maybe that second question that James said, who are you looking out for? Is there somebody that's kind of been, God's been nudging you to do something for, to invite them to your table? 
to walk beside them until they gain balance. Oh, Tim, it's inconvenient. It's inefficient. Yeah. But it's the Jesus way. Sometime today, tonight, this week, why don't you do something on their behalf? How about the third question that James asked? Are you just like everybody else? Because as a follower of Jesus, the Jesus way is different from the world's way. On behalf of those three areas, like, is there something that needs to change? Something you need to tell God you're sorry for? And please understand, you want to increase the chances of becoming more like Jesus as a follower of Jesus. It's not just about the rose. It's partnering with rooms and a recliner. We'll tell you about that in the weeks to come. Father, I want to thank you for today. I thank you for James. I thank you for the teachings of Jesus, the life of Jesus. That you have called us not to be a big church. But to help as many people as possible in and around this city to become more and more like Jesus. That's it. And these rows matter. The presence in a room matters. Our presence at a recliner, it matters. Father, I pray that today, whatever you've pressed in on someone in this room, on behalf of the mouth, on behalf of who they're taking care of, on behalf of being different, that they would leave this room remembering what they need to do and asking you for the strength to do it. I pray this in Jesus' name.